Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's in Your Head podcast. What's up, what's up, what's up, OG5? Your company name here. Studios in Cape Coral, Florida. It's the What's in Your Head podcast with your host Gordon and Don Abernathy. Welcome to another episode of the Distracted Podcast. I'm trying to do 3,000 things at the last minute, the last time, and I thought maybe I just didn't hear the intro. But anyhow, here we are. We're back again. Mike might show up at some point being a man on call um, in a hurricane-stricken area as a plumber. Sometimes you get those last-minute calls because, you know, maybe somebody's water pipe held up through a storm and all of a sudden, 60 days later, it bursts in the basement. Who knows? We don't have basements in Florida. But anyhow, joining us, as always, across the uh, the continental United States, east of, uh, west of the, no, are you, Titan? you're not west of the Rockies, are you? They're kind of, yeah, I guess you are. You're in between the Rockies and um, the other mountains that divide I'm in the inner mountains. Yeah, you're in the valley. So he's west of the Nevada Rockies. Nevada is allegedly the most mountainous state in the union. More ways than one. Uh, so how yep. are you doing? Oh, well? that's right. I got to go to the gym in the morning. There should be some good scenery there. No, oh, there you go. Maybe it's the girls getting off of the strip club that gets there that early. After, I don't know. I mean, they're doing cardio There's all night. There's some good-looking ones that go. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm Saturdays, saying though, and Sundays. What I'm saying is if you're a stripper and you're essentially doing cardio all night, do you need to go straight to the gym or do you go home and sleep for a few hours and then go to the gym? Well, I usually see them in the evenings before they go. That would make more right. sense because then they're kind of the like, like dudes who do the... push-ups before they go on their date. <laughs> well, a lot of it is like cardio machines, especially like stair climbers, anything to make their butt stick out a little further. Squats. 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 Saw some that's boys okay, doing... Uh, they weren't doing squats. They're doing the inverted leg press, but they're still doing it in their socks because you know that's what you do when you do squats. Got to do it. Hey, as long socks. as they don't have a plug-in. I don't know what Maybe. they got going on underneath their britches. That's between them and their their maker. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, one of the shiny ones. Oh, so mm-hmm. how the fuck are you, Captain? Miss your post? Oh, I just you know coming home. You seem a you seemed a little. Worse for wear today. Well, no, I just came home from work. I had to take Carrie to PT, so I went to the gym while she's at PT, came home long enough to eat dinner, fight with the kid again, and uh, try to do show prep while doing some last-minute work stuff. So after we get off here at probably 11 o'clock, I'll probably be working until 3 or 4 in the morning and then get two or three hours of sleep and get up at 6.30 and do it all over again. Actually, I get up at 5. And repeat. I get so, up at 5.40. Uh, able to and then burn that half the a pretzel off today? Yeah. Okay. I have to say this, and you know, bread, bread, Pete, bread, Pete, we love you, but I was a little disappointed in the extra, extra large pretzel. I think the uh, the pretzel loaf and the smaller pretzels are a finer, more moist. Um, well, it's kind of like fish, right? If you eat fish, the bigger the fish, sometimes it gets a little uh, squirrely. More like those um, obnoxiously, scarily large grapes and strawberries from Walmart. You ever notice the larger they get, yeah, the they're less... Yeah, they're a little mealy. Well, they just have less flavor because it's just all yep. water. I would rather have a small, normal-sized strawberry and they got a, you saying they got a guy on the assembly, the, the packaging line with a syringe and water, and they just plump them up as they go through? No, I think they're just Monsanto seeds are so genetically modified and that they put so many, you know, chemicals and water in them that they grow large and they just lose their flavor. Well, uh, speaking of Monsanto, mm-hmm. I heard an interesting year, interview about a year and a half ago maybe two years ago with uh, 
I forget whom, but a guy from Monsanto was there and he was one of the original guys. And he did bring up a good point. As much as we like to vilify them, if it wasn't for them and the genetically modified crops, we'd probably still have starvation to this day. I like, I am a big proponent for genetically modified food. Let's say, I'm sorry, you can't say <clears throat> We are at the prime living time for apples. <laughs> I mean, we went from your, your choices were Granny Smith or a soft red. Now we got Fiji apples. There's so many damn good apples. And I don't know. I just had a thought. No shit. We're doomed now. Sariana's generation doesn't know what it's like to eat apples with a core. What are you talking about? I still get apples with a core. They don't have seeds in them. They don't yes, have that. Do. The, a lot of those genetically modifieds do not have the seeds in the core because they're sterile. They don't produce. You saying they're hydroponic apples? I'm saying, and that's what I was getting to. A lot of people's big issue with Monsanto is not because they are, you know, big farm. It's just that, you know, the days of going to the store, buying some corn or whatever, and then taking what's left and planting it in the backyard and growing your own crops are gone because they're like, hey, we spent millions of dollars figuring out this strain. We're, they're they're uh, sterile. Well, I like anything. That's why you hear, there. like, when I you listen to Glenn Beck, a... that's why when you listen to Glenn Beck, you need. Uh, non-hybrid seeds. That's the difference between a normal seed and a non-hybrid seed is you can actually take those plants and replant them, whereas anything you buy at the store is genetically modified. They're sterile. You can't plant them and grow your own crop. And I think there's even some kind of, um, for some of these farmers, there's actually a little bit of a, if I remember correctly, and I may be making shit up. Well, maybe the first time in this show anybody made shit up is... Um, if they you buy Monsanto seeds, they have to plant the crop, and they can't use it for something else. That's I. I don't know if it was Joe Rogan. some contractual deal, right? Well, I was gonna say I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or it was some podcast or somewhere I heard that like people who have these small farmers who have like you know legacy plots of land that next to land that have sold to Monsanto. Sometime Monsanto's crop right. kind of blows over, and then the small time farmer gets sued because they have their seeds and their crop, even though they didn't crop it. Just because they could genetically test it and say, yeah. hey, this is say, our hey, shit. Say, hey, that shit blew over here from your Or machines. your shit, my shit crossbred with your shit. Yeah. There's definitely markers. Like yeah. If you're that like worried about else, Monsanto, Monsanto, why don't you take 50 yards good. of your land and dig an easement? <laughs> yep. I, I think Monsanto definitely was good back trying to get shit from uh, being drought tolerant and, and pest resistant. But like any, any good intention... It gets out of hand, right? Well, unions are the perfect example. We <clears> needed <throat> unions back when we had children, labor, and people dying and getting uh, taken advantage of in coal mines. Yes, we needed workers' unions, but those days are long gone. And well, and we I was so a now. big proponent of open shops. I, I do work for a union shop now and have for eight years. Now, I'm not in the union. However, with the inflation, you don't see non-union shops moving their wages up to 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 cover that as quickly. And they should be, you know. If a guy, say for shits and giggles, round numbers, a journey a foreman was making twenty-five dollars in two thousand fourteen or two thousand ten, should he should that pay be twenty-five dollars today? Well, the argument can be made union, non-union, labor or fucking restaurants, just about every employer should have cost of living rate raises, Correct. but none of them do. Only people no. who do are the union shops. So even if you're not yeah. in a service, sometimes they, I think they're a little, little too much. But you know, hey, whatever. Yeah, but yeah, we had no intention of getting. Where's them. the Where's the fine line? Yeah, 
So I hear you're on a great taco hunt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, trucks, not foods. I don't yeah. know. I want to. I need to. But my credit's not exactly where it should be, which has never been an issue before. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, though, isn't it ironic? Yes, and I know the reason for it. But just on the face value, if you're like a Seinfeld, you could do a whole bit on how isn't it ironic that if you have bad credit and a history of not being able to pay your bills, your potential loan payment would be higher than someone who has a history of being able to pay their bills. Well, and your, in your case, I believe your debt-to-income ratio should be better now. It's better, but um, much like anything else, you have two types of people in the world. You have the people who <clears throat> were underemployed for a while, who built up debt, and then when they get where they should be, they try to actively pay off the said debt. Correct. Which takes a while. As or one you, should. Or you have the people who say, fuck it, <laughs> let somebody else deal with it. I'm going to just blow my money on bullshit. Well, I'm in the I'm in the former camp. So, yes, uh, my my financial status is a hell of a lot better than it has been for years. But I'm trying to get caught up on all those credit cards. And You're all still that a little stuff. bruised up. And so, basically. you know, so I'm not seeing, you know, an increase in my ability to go out and enjoy more things because I'm trying to get the other things caught up thus to increase my credit. But to answer your question, it's never been an issue in the past because, you know, car dealers are car dealers and they want to make the sale. And when I had my two Tacomas to the Tundra, I didn't exactly have stellar credit when I trade anyhow. But um, I've, I've been- The used ex- car market's gotten expensive, hasn't it? Well, not only that, but I've I've ran into the same issue in multiple markets because um, in my new line of work, one of my things I do is similar to what you do, which is procure things for people to get mm-hmm. jobs done. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that the salesman whose job it is to make the sale, to allow you to procure those things, don't seem too eager to return phone calls and or emails. Well, that goes back to my whole complaint about it seems like in almost every business out there right now, everybody is just there to collect a check. They really don't want to be there. There's kind of half fucking into it. Well, I and was... yeah, that's been a thing for a long time, but I really think the last two years has accentuated it to a ridiculous level. People I... are bitching. People are moaning. I have one it doesn't matter client... what you do. And they're half-assing their way through life. I have one client that has 43 network devices that are due to have High-end network devices have services built into them, firewalls, hardware protection. Their service suite on 43 devices are due to renewal here in a month or two. And I have, and this is just one of them. I started this renewal request about a month ago. (laughs) And um, the company who does it just merged with another company. And I finally got a hold of my sales guys like, hey, you know, I understand you make commission off this stuff. This is a big, this is a big freaking bill. Um, can you maybe light some fires? Oh, sorry. You know, we're ever since the merger, we're having, you know, manpower issues. I said, okay, that's, that's your issue. I said, so am I supposed to go to my client when all 43 of their devices and three months from now, uh, expire and say, well, you know, the vendors having manpower. Uh, That's not my issue. That's your issue. They're going to say, find a different vendor. No, they won't. (laughs) Not at the amount of money that's involved. I mean, that 43 devices, some of these are, Anywhere between six hundred to a thousand per year per device. So times that by forty three. That's not something. This isn't a you know. I'm going to sell you five computers for six hundred dollars a piece. This is this is big decent money. And so, um, I get it. Some software we use is and then, tens of thousands of a year. You know. And I quoted a customer three PCs, 
we get them, we roll them out. They're a medical-based place. Um, they signed off on the bid, went to order them, and this company once again merged and went to order them. And our shipping address is the address that we had in Vegas eight years ago, which three weeks ago when I ordered something, I called them and had them change it and had stuff shipped to our office. But for some reason, their website rolled back, and on the website, you cannot change the reseller address. You have to contact sales. I called those guys at 9.30 this morning. By 3.30 this afternoon, I found the same fucking computers on Amazon for a little bit cheaper and said, fuck it. I tried. I've literally been waiting. I've, I've called you guys six six times, left eight voicemails. I've been calling you since 9.30. Okay. You just lost a bit more business to Amazon. So screw it. I ordered my Amazon. They'll be here Monday. Problem solved. It's like I, I did my part. I, I reached out to you guys for four hours. Called you every hour for four hours. You guys, right. at this point, you know. I well, that's if I was a Mike Rowe was talking about how many people are between our age range and younger are not work, looking for work. It is numb done. Mm -hmm. And it's a scary amount. He said, I think he said his first time in history has been this high. Oh, yeah. I forget what percentage he used, but it was. And uh, it's a disheartening, man. I, I just, you know, uh, even where I'm at, I feel it. And uh, I feel it on myself and I get mad at myself. For, and I'm like, but if you're surrounded by it, yeah, and it's around you everywhere you go. And then you have these morons. Doing you the start whole... feeling it too. And then you got to kick your own ass and get your shit in gear. Or do you join the dumb dumbs who, who didn't, you know? Well, just like the other night, you and I were playing Call of Duty. Carrie was out at church with Sariana. <laughs> We were killing people and they were saving people. And I was wanting to be lazy, so I got out my Uber Eats. I used to drive for Uber, so this isn't me not understanding how things work. I delivered I delivered a few meals and decided it wasn't worth it. My car smelled like food for three days. I'd rather just deliver people. It's easier. They know where they're going. But food doesn't sue. So I'm um, waiting and, you know, it takes an hour to get food from a place 20 minutes down the road. I get it. $22.38 for a steak, asparagus, and potatoes. I upgraded to the uh, eight ounce, of course, from the six, medium rare, from Chili's. And uh, you and I get done playing, and I'm watching, and he's driving down the street, and he hangs a left into my neighborhood. And when you pull in my neighborhood, you either go straight, right, or left. Now to get to my house, you gotta go left. He goes straight. Hmm, I thought maybe he's gonna turn around. Watching. Or maybe he has a delivery in front of me. Watching. Mm -hmm. Map goes away. That's weird. Start flipping, going, going through. Past orders, chili. Past? Help, contact, call the guy. Yeah, hey, yeah, I'm waiting for my food. I just delivered your food. No, you didn't. I'm standing in my driveway. I watched you on the map. You didn't hang a left. You delivered my food two streets and one canal away. Oh, brother, I'm sorry, man. Let me go back and get it. Okay, cool. Wait in the driveway for five minutes. Now I'm thinking, okay, my food's already cold because it's cold by Uber Eats just by standard protocol. And that's one reason I will not order delivery. So Too I, much money for cold fucking food. And so now I'm waiting. It's five minutes. So now my food, it's already cold. been sitting on someone's front porch for five minutes. I said, okay. Because I was wearing nothing but running shorts when you and I were playing Call of Duty. I'm going to go inside, get on shirt, shoes, socks, get my shit. And if he's not here, but by the time I get dressed and in my truck, I'm going to cancel the deal. I was a little bit of a dick because I drove down the street and I saw him in his red Volvo sitting there trying to figure out where I lived. And I just kept on driving and said, enjoy the steak. Went down. 
And I wanted something decent. I didn't want. I have. I don't go to McDonald's anymore. That's completely. Did off your the menu. Did your food ever end up on your thing, or did he just you just cancel it? I canceled it, and I have to wait. Because it's a past order, right? Yeah, I canceled it, and I have to wait three to five days to get my refund. Isn't it amazing how the company gets your money instantaneously, but when it comes to giving the shit back, you got to wait three to five days. Funny how mm-hmm. the technology works. But I, I didn't want McDonald's. That's completely off the menu. I already have, I eat Wendy's occasionally for lunch if I just get two junior bacon cheeseburgers, save my money. So I decided, damn it, I, I went from a steak down to nothing. I Sunday, so that means uh, chicken places closed, and there's only so many places on my side of town with them not wanting to drive all over God's green earth. So I decided to go to Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Which is two doors down from Chili's. Someone said, well, Don, if you wanted Chili's, why not go to Chili's? Because I couldn't bring myself to pay them twice in one night. Because after all, I hadn't got my refund back. Not that I couldn't afford it. Just on principle, I can't bring myself and to pay. And by the way, your your Five Guys price was probably just a few bucks off of your Chili's price. And so it's not that I couldn't afford it. I just I can't bring myself to pay the same company for the same service twice in one night. Even though it wasn't their fault. So I go to Five Guys Burgers and Fries and order myself a double. A small fry, because I'm the rookie. I know that they basically pull a half a basket of fries. They pull a full basket of fries in your oh, bag when you order a large. Now, is that a regular size double or is that the little double? That's a regular size double. See, I've never eaten anything bigger than their small burgers because to me they're fucking huge already. And so I got the little fry. Nothing. And a medium drink. I'm a man. I can handle my big meat. I'm sure you can. And much as Gordon hinted, I refused to pay another $23 for another steak dinner, but I did, in fact, pay $18.93 for a fucking now, double hamburger, a small I too fry, have five guys. and a small drink. Yes. So. With multiple refills, right? Try to get some of your money back. I did eat there. I said, fuck it. I'm now, not going to drive home and have this shit get cold. I'm going to eat at five guys. With your French fries, mm-hmm. please tell me you use the malt vinegar. Nope. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm not at Long John's fucking Silver's, fella. They've got malt vinegar there. So? <laughs> a little malt vinegar and then dip it into ketchup. I'm a simple man. Telling you. I'm a simple man who went to Grove City High School. You're through... a simple man who's buying way too much for a burger and fries, so you might as well bougie that shit up. But I'm a simple man who lived through the great ketchup drought of Grove City High School in the 1990s, where you went through line and got your same pizza. Same cheeseburger, same chicken sandwich, and a French fry option every day, with the exception of Thanksgiving. Wait a second. Hold on. No, we no longer had Pizza Hut when I got there. (laughs) We had that at Park Street Middle School, but by the time we got to Grove City, no lie, every single day, 364 days a year, well, that we had school, so 158 days. Was it the the pizza, the standard cafeteria? Your choices were standard square frozen pizza. Not even the Fiesta pizza? They refer to that as the Mexican pizza, but no. French fry with your choice of either pizza, hamburger, or uh, chicken sandwich. That was it. We even had Taco Bell one day, too. Year-round, with the exception of Thanksgiving when you got some dry turkey. And two packs of ketchup. No more, and absolutely a lot less if you didn't ask for it. However... However, mayonnaise to your heart's content. Which arguably is more expensive than ketchup. So we would uh, 
The ketchup packet was behind the counter. You had to ask for ketchup. You only got two. The mayonnaise box was out in the fucking aisle. You can grab as much as you want. I was waiting for some slob to show up with their own bottle of ketchup. And so I became a frequent consumer of french fries with mayonnaise, a tradition which I follow to this day. Now, did Melody and Dad buy your lunches? No. Okay. Because I, in high school, rarely ate lunch at all. Now, if you're a young My lunch money, what little I got, went into my gas tank. My lunch money went in the gas tank. Nick's mom paid me gas until he got a car. And so, and then by the time I was a junior in high school and I needed a way to cover up aromas of other things, I started smoking cigarettes. So all my money went to gas and cigarettes and other things that back then you couldn't speak freely about. Uh, remember That's back- really some not sound logic, by the way, but you were a teenager. Well, no, because our dad smoked cigarettes, too, and so he couldn't smell it on us because he smelled it on himself. He's nose blind. But anywho, I had a thought the other day. Didn't you have a bunch of trees hanging from your mirror, too? Remember reduced lunches? Yes. We were on reduced lunches. Actually, when we were in elementary school we were on reduced lunch. mom, we had free lunches. Well, you had. It was a little pink punch card. I was going to say, depending on your level of poorness, you either had free lunches, reduced lunches... Or regular lunch. Yes. And it was all the same lunch. Much like food stamps back in the day, they were color coordinated. So the kids knew who the poor kids were because your food card was different than the ones their parents paid full freight for. So the kids would buy the lunch card. The pink ones were the free ones. The normal kids had the white ones that their parents paid full freight for. And then you had the pink ones if you're reduced lunch. And then you had like a yellow if you're free. So everybody knew you're poor. Just like in food stamps. Not that your shoes didn't give you away with your fucking <laughs> or, jeans. Yeah, or, or your, or your um, corduroy pants that already had 13 patches on it and your shoes that, you know, had for three years or, you know, any of that. Or the fact that it's your, 19... Your brother's hand-me-down. It's 1985 and you're wearing the latest fashions from 1978. <laughs> but, um, shoes with holes in them. You I know, and same with food got, stamps. My first pair of Nike, we were in... I think I was in a Walt in my second, third grade. And I remember those things, I thought they were badass. Maybe, no, I was at Dry Ridge. But they got, they like developed a hole in them right away. Remember how excited we were when we got Lee jeans for our birthday? I say we got when I first got my first pair of fucking name brand shoe Reebok in uh, middle school. But back then, the point, back then, food stamps were the same way. They were a little bit bigger than Monopoly money, just as bright. Uh, they were so bright, in fact, that when you're in line paying for your food with food stamps, the guy back in the butcher shop knew your ass was poor because he could see the orange reflecting off the light. <laughs> nowadays, but that guy probably had some too. So. Nowadays, it all just looks like debit cards. There's no embarrassment involved. But now, you don't know this because you don't have kids. At least in the state of Florida, it's all free. There's no more reduced lunch. There's no more free lunch. There's Check no more f- this out. You go to school, and so here's the problem: Clark County has free lunches and free breakfast. Yes. Exactly. And this is a school that says they're fucking broke. And then we have Michelle Obama when she was the first lady going on. We have partnered up with the NFL for Play 60 to encourage these fat fucks to go outside. Six figures who have a kid and all of a sudden $400 just shows up for Mm -hmm. school for the kid. Mm -hmm. Or even worse. What the fuck? And they're like, "I, I feel guilty for using this, but they say that's what it is. Even worse. So we have Play 60 from the NFL, which was around pre-Obama, got to convince her fat fuck kids to get outside for at least an hour a day to burn some calories. And then, you know, the the first lady, whether it's Michelle or pre or after, they always take up the mantle of healthy students. 
We need to get the kids yeah, D right. It was Nancy Reagan. No, she was just saying no to drugs. Oh no, Ronnie. And uh, well, Nancy headed up that the dare the whole dare thing was Nancy's thing. But anyhow, so we as well, the biggest problem with government, they all talk to us like we're children, right? So we have the overlords talking to us children about how we need to make sure our children lose weight. Great. I agree with you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out, buy my kids some semi-healthy shit, make their lunch, send them to school, to which point they get free breakfast, free lunch, and then the lunch that I give them that's semi-healthy. So now they've had a breakfast, two lunches, come home, snack, before I get home to make fucking dinner. So how am I supposed to keep my kids healthy when you're giving them free bullshit at school even though I packed them a semi-healthy lunch? And it's all calorie-heavy, Yeah, because they know the poor kids aren't going to get fed for another fucking 12 and a half hours, so they got to give shit that, back in our day, the phrase used to be, sticks to the ribs. Yeah, well, I'm going (laughs) to say something that is going to be considered extremely offensive and and wrong by many, many people. You have your child's doctor saying, hey, your kid's borderline obese. They have fatty liver disease. You really need... Dude, I try. I try to get them to go run and they won't go. I buy them healthy food. They get free fucking shit at school and now they're getting two lunches and a free fucking breakfast. Yeah, if it's free lunch at school, it should be some fucking carrots and celery. Maybe, you know, an egg. Or the poor parents come in and sign their kids up for it. The middle class and rich kids... You don't get the free fucking food. You either buy your food or your parents pack you a healthy lunch because they don't want you eating that fucking shit. Yep. But no. Now your kid's eating can, the can super I, expensive healthy offensive? food and the super cheap fucking french fries and bullshit and then coming home and snacking before you get home to make dinner. And then yep. you're you're making your, your fucking super expensive dinner because food's through the roof and then I'm not hungry. Because I filled up on trash all day long. Which... This is not a sponsor. I wish it was. I opened up my front door the other day. Good things mm-hmm. come to those who help. And I had a big-ass styrofoam Omaha steak box on my front porch. I said, gee, who's that from? Gordon, perhaps? No, it wasn't. It was from Rusty and Zach, the people that I helped. If you guys watch the YouTube videos, those were the people I did the timelines footage where we systematically dissected two big trees in our front yard. Mm-hmm. I haven't made the steaks yet, but I made the chicken breast last night. You will find out that grass-fed steaks taste a little different. Oh, well, I don't have to go that far. The fucking, those four chicken breasts they sent was the best. Carrie said the same thing, and Sarion, what the hell is the difference between this chicken and what we get at Publix? It's all natural. It's all. There's not a single yellow strip of that fucking fat on there. Mm -hmm. And they're smaller breasts, probably. I put them in a bag, put the Omaha steak seasoning in there, and pounded it so I don't get salmonella all over my granite countertops. Pounded it in there, put a little olive oil, and just fried them five minutes per side. They were the best chicken I've had at home ever that We've I've made. We've done a couple here when we first moved in. A guy sold us on a bunch of meat, and uh, I, I'm kind of half tempted to do it again just they, because it is better quality. It um, is. You can taste it. So Carrie's like... We might have to splurge on ourselves some Omaha yeah. every once in a while. Everyone, they well, sent us four chicken breasts, four chicken breasts, four different, uh, two different, two different types of steak of two cuts per steak. The hot dogs, the box of hamburgers, like the um, apple fritters and the old old rotten potatoes. Dude, somebody doesn't have to go buy meat for a little while. Yeah. So speaking of quality and poor, this mm-hmm. is you may want to play Tom McDonald. 
Hi, my name is Tom McDonald. Welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Tom McDonald. Welcome to the show. If you are easily offended, you should probably should go to Walmart and get yourself some cheap food. I believe that if people are on EBT, there mm-hmm. should be limitations on the type of food. There used to be. A, number one, you should not be able to use it at a gas station or 7-Eleven. There used to be. Remember when mom had B, three stamps? number two, there is a limit on the type of steaks. Yes, you can get steaks, but you can't get the prime or the choice ribeyes. You're getting rump roast. You're getting New York strip, sirloin. That's fine. Yes, Gordon, they deserve it too. Well... If there was better decision-making going on, they may not find themselves in this situation. Yes, I get it. There are people, and I've done it too, that, you know, through no fault of their own, they end up in a bad situation. But instead of getting blinders on and staying down in that situation, uh, you, you pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And I know people like Joe Rogan think that's bullshit, but I think I'm living proof that it can happen. Well, and furthermore— and you get your shit together. And furthermore, it's not that we're trying to deny you the quality food. It's just that shit's expensive. And so back in the day, the government said, hey, we're giving you this money to feed your family for the longest amount of time possible until you get your next check. Here's your $50 steak, or here's a bunch of $10 steaks. Yeah, so instead of dropping, you know, buying a $100 steak, you know, buy this, buy that, buy that. And they used to do that. They used to be, you couldn't buy cigarettes, couldn't buy beer, off the roller couldn't buy soda, 7-11. you couldn't buy anything at 7-Eleven. But you know what happened and why they finally gave into that? Because that's uh, the only available places near some uh, places of poverty. That's an excuse. Oh, I'm with you, but that is the reasoning, some of it. No. Um, remember the uh, ghetto mart behind my house in North Harris? Yes. The short walk down the alleyway. Uh-huh. Ghetto marts roll. That's where you got all your fago, right? Ghetto marts roll through the land, yes. And before things were debit card, which I'm sure stymied some of it, but there's always a way around. <laughs> what would happen would be people would go and sell their food stamps for seventy five cents on the dollar. Oh, you know, I've seen this happen in front of Walmart's before, yes. by the way. And so they you can't buy cigarettes, you can't buy beer, you can't buy soda, you couldn't buy candy, you couldn't buy clothes and this and that. And so people would just go down and they would take their $200 worth of food stamps and sell it for fucking $92.50 at the, you know, the ghetto mart. Some even had higher inflation than that. And so people would lose their money and still get all that shit. And so I think the government kind of just said, you know what, let's kind of kill the black market food stamp industry. Let's just let people buy candy and and bullshit. And I think that I, I didn't realize what was happening until somebody pointed it out. It was, I'd see these people at Walmart they would load up their carts with food, then they'd go and they'd return it. Ah, that's clever. That has pretty much stopped. So you buy your food, then you return it for cash. Well, all they had to do is all the food stamp EBT would say is you can't return for cash. You have to put yeah, the balance all back on the card. I think they put a stop to that, but I would see that a lot. Because who the fuck returns bread and a basket full of food? I said, well, here's, here's the grift. You know, they're they're getting assistance. They buy it. They need some money for some alcohol or some some coca or some some drugs, and they, they'd run it over and they'd return it, and and probably had an option to get cash, and they'd take the cash, and then they'd go do things, and then their poor kids are out, well, you know, food probably not even quality food. I think there's a lot of Cheetos and Fritos mm-hmm. and and Ho Hos and Ding Dongs in those those baskets too, but. uh yeah, and I think that finally kind of got shut down. It sounds like Walmart really reined in. So you know what they, you know how they, you know how they, 
they found the loophole for that. And I saw exactly. videos of this. I saw a few videos of this during the pandemic. Um, and this only happens in states like California or places that offer uh, recycling exchange. You take your EBT card and you go down and you buy bottles of water. And they would show these uh, these drunks, these homeless guys in parking lots of Walmart with three or four pallets of water. And they'd just dump the water in the parking lot, take their bottles, go exchange them for coins so they can get enough money to buy a couple 40s of beer. That's just amazing. They would literally sure just people... see them dumping bottles of water in the parking lot and taking a swig and just literally just dumping out three or four pallets where the, you know, the 24 packs just to generate enough bottles to go get $3 worth of cash to go buy a 40. And I'm sure there are people, they may see this this podcast on YouTube and say, look, you're a middle-aged white guy with a racist hat on. And a racist flag behind me. Owned by a, a black African-American lawyer, but whatever. You don't care. Um, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I've actually had people, you know, I talk about it when I was in the field. And, you know, they're like, well, how do you know what you're talking about? I'm like, you see this right here? See that scar? Yeah. We can't I was see so it, broke, you know. I was selling plasma twice a week for like a year. Not only that, but... I, I grew up, when I was really young, you know, things weren't good. It was the 80s. Depending on, sucked. Depending on where our mother's and relationship was. We literally were. ate off government cheese. We literally had the generic that was the white package with the, the black cheese. label that said cheese. Just kind of like the, ham or yeah. meat product. Cigarettes. You know? Cereal. Well, and furthermore, you know, depending on been there, depending on the relationship between some family members, sometimes we spent our summer times in a trailer with Sistrin and a couple of uh, window shakers, or sometimes we stayed in a cabin with no indoor plumbing and shot in an outhouse and literally bathed in the Ohio River. So we've seen on both sides of the tracks. What rehab song is that about going home to the uh, the, the screen door that doesn't hang right? Yep, rehab. Welcome home. Because that is what I think of as that cabin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how your family can call you out on your shit, too. You know? But, yeah. So, I mean. Welcome home, I think. Is what's up, John Craft? Yeah. Rehab, Welcome Home. It's off of. Uh, That's a good freaking song. But it, I have a. I always have these ideas. This is one I really want to do. I want to create a fake account and go on Reddit. And give a. Not so brief, anonymous description of our childhood. Going into my high school years, I've had friends shot in drive-by shootings. Have friends shot on OSU campus. I've had friends murdered in Franklin County Prison. So moving down here and having family members' house, even down here, family members' house is Mm -hmm. shot up in drive-by. Put that in elegant writing. Put it up on Reddit and then ask people, because they won't know who I am, to please create a slideshow presenting my life in photos. Now, would you write it like a, a story or would you write it maybe in like a hip-hop prose? No, I, would write, I, I wouldn't I would want to persuade anybody. No direction either way, right? Just here's the facts, here's the story, here's my life. Please present this in a photo array and then see how many people just assume because they don't know who I am, they don't see a picture of me, just assume that we are from a minority community growing up in bad neighborhoods because of what we went through and because people don't think that those type of things happen to white people at least not in the 90s privileged on and i i can guarantee you if 10 people made a slideshow i would say at least six of them would probably assume that we grew up 
African Americans or Hispanics in the ghetto because of the shit we went through, the things we saw. This isn't saying that, you know, one thing. This is more basically evidence. Well, that and I think the other the outcome would, would just be, be trolls. Well, the outcome would be that, <laughs> you know, all the things that people say happen because a race is truly a poor versus rich thing, not a, you know, people just assume that these things only happen to these groups, but these things happen to all groups would be my point. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're true to the wrong race. It's, hey, guess what? Um, go to Eastern Kentucky. There's a shitload of poor white crackheads. Is it Adam Carolla says there's nothing more expensive than being poor? Exactly. Like that video I did, um, interestingly enough, it's got more views on Instagram than it did on TikTok, but the pre-hurricane ride made the joke about hurricane shutters actually crackhead shutters. I had a few people make some comments kind of insinuating one way or another. I'm thinking... There's a lot of white people who smoke crack in Kentucky and I'm Tennessee, sorry. if not more. I, I, I spoke incorrectly. <laughs> Squeaker shutters. Yes. Well, not even that. The point being is I guarantee you per capita there are more white people who smoke crack than any other race. But because people's own preconceived notions mm-hmm. of what a crackhead represents, they tie the race to that statement. And because mm-hmm. I'm... Well, and that's what's going on right now, right? As everything. Continue just... to, I look at a person by their merit. You can't do that. It's so funny. We had a, a guy working. <laughs> You're not allowed to do he, that anymore. Really cool. He was uh, he was a mixed race. Um, I think he's Scottish and and African American. And we kind of cut it up. He's a little older. He's in his sixties. He looks like he's uh, in his forties. Which I said, hey man, black don't crack. It's true. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I said something about going to the uh, Golden Knights game a couple years ago. And we sat up with the colorful folk. Oh, what do you mean by that? And then he was like, not let me talk. I said, you know the. The working class people who are very boisterous, you know, very loud, fucking hilarious. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like these guys from the Bronx that was behind me, clear white New Yorkers mm-hmm. making some fun, making fun of our own players. It was hilarious and saying, now we're not going to get the t-shirts because we're up in the cheap seats. Yep. <laughs> you know, still fucking 125 bucks a seat. Mm-hmm. But, Even uh, behind the obstructed view. <laughs> Right. So I actually went to our um, Silver Knights game. That is our AHL farm team for the Golden Knights, which is kind of nice. It's over in Henderson. So you guys aren't part of the ECHL anymore or never were? No, it's interesting. The Wranglers went away right about two years before the Golden Knights came on board. And it was basically because Orleans Arena said they couldn't make money. Yeah. But it was a good game. I mean, it was great seats, brand new arena. They're making a ton. They've got arena football in there. They've got arena football is cool when it's done right. But we've had a lot of poor franchises here where the uh, artificial turf's got duct tape at the fifty-yard line. And ours, uh, the Golden Knights, the Silver Knights, the the Vegas. What are they called? We had the Firecats. We had the Firecats here, and they try. They're all owned by the Foley. Entertainment group Foley is a very wealthy man uh, who owned like McKenzie multiple restaurants, McKenzie River Pizza up in Montana, the f- original one, Bozeman. And he's and the reason he named the Golden Knights the Golden Knights is actually is because he uh he graduated from um, um that army school, the uh point. No, oh, the Golden Knights is also the um. The Central Florida College is also the gold. Yeah, Knights. but he almost got sued over it. But he said, "No, it's paying homage to my military history." No, yeah. you know, let's uh, so, change uh, things up a little bit. Absolutely. Um, BBC News base editing. 
Be careful saying that. Bass editing, not as in hip-hop production, but um, a new revolutionary therapy clears an incurable cancer in a teenage girl. So finally, we're starting to see a little bit of headway in the cancer battle realm. Uh, Let's see here. Dateline BBC News. Teenage girl's incurable cancer has been cleared from her body in the first ever use of a revolutionary new type of medicine. I've heard about this. All other treatments for poor Elisa's leukemia had failed. There's nothing more heartbreaking than cancer in kids. No, there's not. So doctors at the Great Oremen Street Hospital used, quote, base editing to perform a feat of biological engineering to build. Now, is this editing the genetics? We'll get to that. Base editing to perform a feat of biological engineering to build her a new living drug. Six months later, the cancer is undetectable, but Alyssa is still being monitored in case it comes back. Alyssa, who is now 13 and is from Leicestershire, was diagnosed with T-cell acute lymph- lymphoblastic leukemia last year. T-cells... full of words. Yeah, they always are. It keeps the dumb people out of medical school. <laughs> T-cells are supposed to be the body's guardians, Correct. seeking out and destroying threats. But Alyssa, they become her... They become the danger and were growing out of control. Her cancer. Basically, she had a almost like an autoimmune form of it. Yeah, kind of. Her cancer was aggressive. Chemotherapy and the new bone marrow transplant were both unable to rid her body of the disease. Without, I'm sorry, without experimental medication, the only option left would have merely to make Alyssa as comfortable as possible. Quote: Eventually, it would have. I'm sorry, quote, eventually I would have passed away, said Alyssa. Her mom, Kiona, said this time last year she had been dreading Christmas, thinking that it would be her last Christmas on Earth. Mm. That's a lot to put on a kid. What happened next uh, would have you believe unthinkable just a few years ago, and and it has been made possible by incredible advancements in genetics. The team at the Great Ormond Street used technology called base editing, which was invented only six years ago. So I'm sure we had a lot of more time to work on it during the pandemic because people are at home. Uh, bases are the language of life, and that's B-A-S-E-S, not B-A-S-S, like bass or bass music. Bases are the language of life. The four types of bases are adrenaline. Uh, I'm going to slaughter this because of my my inability to read. Uh, cysterine, that's C-Y-T-O-S-I-N-E. Um, go, just gain and time. Um, so, so we'll just go with the abbreviations. The four types are A, C, G, and T, and are the building blocks of the genetic code. Just as the letters of the alphabet spell out a words that carry meaning, billions of bases in our DNA spell out instructions and manuals for our body. Base editing allows scientists to zoom in on a precise part of the genetic code and then alter the mo- the molecular structure for just one base, converting it into another and changing the genetic instructions. A large team of doctors and scientists used this tool to engineer a new type of T-cell that was capable of hunting down and killing Alyssa's cancerous T-cells. So basically it was, you know, uh, T-cell on T-cell, you know, annihilation here. We, we, we deputized some T-cells to go after the bad ones. They started with a healthy T-cell that came from a donor and set about modifying them. The first base editing disabled the T-cell's targeting mechanism so they would not assault Alyssa's body. So thus reversing kind of the autoimmune disease part. 
The second removed a chemical marking called CD7, which is on all T cells. And the third edit was the invisibility cloak that prevented the cells from being killed by the chemotherapy drug. The final stage mm-hmm. of the genetic modification instructed the T cells to go hunting for the anything with the code CD7 marking on it so that it would destroy every T cell in her body, including the cancerous ones. That's why this that's why this is making markings has to be removed from the therapy. Otherwise it would just destroy itself. And so basically mm-hmm. they basically played a game of red versus blue in her body. They made a bunch of blue T cells and said, okay, go capture the flag and kill off the red crew in the box Canyon of halo days. And right now it seems to have worked. That's and, awesome. And there's been so many different things that's been tried and, and to see, you know, and, once again, I'm not taking anything away from older people such as ourselves, but if it came down to saving somebody in their 50s or 60s or saving a 13-year-old, let's start with a 13-year-old first. And plus, they're healthier. They, they have a stronger bounce-back method than the older folks. And once you perfect it in the younger kids, then you can modify it to work in people who don't have quite as healthy of an immune system to bounce back from that sort of thing. I wish Mike was here for this next story, but we're going to go about it anyhow. Hold on, before we go into another story, mm-hmm. I've been watching, occasionally I watch some local commercials, mm-hmm. and it dawned on me, we got a local celebrity here that has ended up on a lot of really poorly executed commercials. Is it a car dealer? Uh, one is the Dollar Loan Center, which is basically <laughs> payday loans. Okay, which with the Dave app, you don't need that anymore, but go ahead. Well, I guess you need a bank account for the day. Well, they've they've got so much here. They actually sponsor the 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 new arena built for the Silver Knights. It's literally called the Dollar Loan Center, and I actually think you can get loans there. And he's been on some other commercials, and he's really got one or two phrases, words. The phrase an hour, and it, I want you to think about your area. What um may have been formerly well known celebrity? Huge. He died. So well, well known as in nationwide in the entertainment industry. Ours is Flavor Flav. Yeah, boys. Base. That's pretty much all he says. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was driving his Zamboni <laughs> and said like three words. And yeah, boy. I was like, man, that's awful. I bet they paid him a ton of money, but Jesus, that's awful. We used to have one. They weren't a real celebrity, but they were kind of a local celebrity. And it was by no no fault to their own because this place was owned by an Asian couple. Mm-hmm. And... English being their second language, their whole thing was it was a appliance discount center. And as you know from scratch and dent places, a majority of that shit's open stock. But on their commercials, they were proud when they had products that was in a box. And so they would say that in their Asian, American, American accent, their Asian accent, their American second language. And people thought that they were intentionally trying to make fun of the accent. And so they kind of had to bring in spokespersons but yeah for the longest time it was in a box it was the it was the appliance warehouse over on the pet side of fort myers so we had them now the last celebrity i'm the next celebrity i'm going to mention who has an actual decent commercial although it's the nathan adelson hospice center is one comedian named brad garrett yeah that makes sense so he does those, and they're actually it. well put together. But uh, you ever watch? Yeah, we're just see, you know, obviously we're the entertainment destination of the world, and uh, we definitely get a lot, our fair share of um, celebrities doing commercials around here. 
You ever watch somebody feed Phil? What's that? You ever watch somebody feed Phil? I think I saw it once. Phil Rosenthal. He's the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And if you watch... Do they? If you watch, Do they love Raymond? If you watch the early seasons of that, his parents are on there, and you realize that more of that show is based off of Phil Rosenthal's life than it was Ray Romano's. Mm-hmm. Um, because Phil's brother's name's Richard, and technically in his world, everybody loves Richard, and he's very jealous of Richard. So Richard's And his, Richard would be Brad Garrett's role? Well, no, Richard would actually be Raymond, whereas Phil would uh, be because everybody loves Richard. And so, oh, so that show was supposed to be Brad Garrett's character as Everybody Loves Raymond, not Brad Garrett's character, which yeah. was whatever. And uh, so Richard's the producer on the show, and he's always making Phil do dumb things, and he's always complaining about Richard. And every time his parents would be on the end of the show, I was like, where's Richard at? Where's Richard at? He's like, so you, you really, and uh, Brad Garrett's wife on the show, um, I think her name's Monica in real life is actually Phil's wife. And so it's, it's pretty interesting, but it's a great show. He travels around the world, eats all the different stuff, but uh, sadly his parents passed. And so now he has comedians coming on doing a joke for his dad. Cause his dad would come on and tell old Jewish jokes on air. And sadly he had this season. He had what they recorded last year. He had Gilbert Godfrey on there, which we all know passed away. So it was sad to see Gilbert doing a joke for Phil's dad who passed away just to have that episode dedicated to Gilbert at the end of it. And, but it's a really good show. If you like travel shows and fee- and food, but Phil, and you've heard. I've Phil, been watching a show on Netflix about tacos. I've saw the, I've saw the, fl- uh, the flash for that. Um, you know, how pretty I talk- good. Uh, the first city they went to was Chicago. The second city was Vegas. Then they I, went to New York. And I, it was basically the, the, the kind of the tacos you're getting in those areas. And mm-hmm. the, a lot of it's the immigrants who had moved in or their families. And, and it's really interesting. Yeah, people don't realize the key difference between Mexican food and Tex-Mex comes down to cheese. Authentic yeah. Mexican food doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of cheese on it. No, if it's any. usually just a little bit of the white stuff and you're done. Yep, a lot of cilantro. Um, we talked about, a while back, we talked about um, the Human Playground. Well, there's another series. I don't know if they're related, but it's called The Home Game. It's very similar. It's it's interesting. They go to different places on the planet and uh, watch weird sporting events and it's pretty good as well but um i was going to get to this fishing article but while we're on the topic of netflix series ancient apocalypse db cooper db cooper db cooper Cooper. walking to an airport back then was like walking into a supermarket put down 20 bucks and you got a flight that was pretty much it that is what cooper did that day the hijacker carrying a briefcase which held explosives he asks for two hundred thousand dollars and four parachutes once his demands have been met jumps out of a damn jet in the middle of the night i mean there's just something kind of badass about that when he got on a plane last night he was just another passenger but today master criminal he was a kind of a guy I think he's one of the slickest cats that ever walked on the face of the earth. He is this anti-hero, individualist figure. We don't know who he is or was, where he came from, or where he went. This is a case that questions who you are, what you believe, what you want to believe, and what really happened. Anybody with a laptop can feel like they're investigating. The best work in the case has been done recently by Citizen Sleuths. My team has no doubt we have found D.B. Cooper. 
You won't believe how crazy it gets. Every piece of this story is controversial. Every fact is not quite the fact that you think that it is. This case is one of the most interesting things that I participated in in the FBI. It endures. There are new suspects all the time, but there's no direct link to any of them. Focus on the facts. This case forces you to question your own sanity. Why did you run, Bob, if you're not guilty? We have over 100 pieces of evidence. The treasure's too great. It's too good a story. Cooper's dead. I know who he is in my heart. You're sucked into the Cooper Vortex. <laughs> now airing on Netflix is the docuseries D.B. Cooper, Where Are it You? So funny. There was a guy when I went back to Montana that I was working with in um, maintenance, and the joke was he was D.B. Cooper. For those who don't know the story of D.B. Cooper... It definitely wouldn't happen nowadays, but in the 60s, as you heard them say, you walk in the airport, you slur on 50 bucks, you can get a ticket anywhere. And at the time, the fashion, if you will, was to hijack airplanes. If you were mm-hmm. a fugitive on the run, you need to get to Cuba, you would just go to any airport, buy a ticket, hijack a plane, and they would take you to Cuba. Um, terrorists would quite often blow them up. There was an airline that was blown up in um, Ireland. A bunch of Americans died. There was all these different things going on. And the crazy mm-hmm. thing about the story was is he gets on a plane. It's a 30-minute flight. He tells the stewardess to come here and hands her a letter, which apparently at the time, uh, sexual harassment went hand-in-hand hand with being a stewardess on the airline in the 60s. And these poor women got notes handed to him all day long. They just got in the habit of not reading them. And he said, no, you need to read it, to which it said, come sit by me. I have a bomb. So she mm-hmm. comes, sits, he opens his briefcase, and lo and behold, he has a bomb. And he gives her a ransom note, and she goes up and gives it to the, the pilot, and the pilot calls in a request for $200,000 in 1971 money. It's about a million bucks and four parachutes. And the plane, which was on a half-hour trip, the pilot announced to the crew, uh, the, the passengers, that they are having a, a mechanical issue and they need to burn off fuel and so this half hour flight turned into two hours and 30 minutes because db cooper would not allow them to land until the ransom was paid and oh, really the airline did not know none of the passengers knew this was going on they just thought there's mechanical issue it wasn't until they landed and they were deboarding that they get interviewed by the media they found out oh we we're part of the hijacking so plane lands they bring on two hundred thousand dollars four parachutes he lets everybody off but the, the crew and the authorities let this fucking plane take off again. So he gets his 200 grand, his four parachutes. He lets everybody go with the exception of the crew. And as you might suspect, why did he need four parachutes? Well, if you ask for one, who's to say the cops aren't going to brick it? You ask for four, then maybe people are going to assume you're going to make some of the, the crew jump too. And so we better give them four legitimate parachutes. And where it gets crazy is he's wearing a suit, tie, sunglasses, dapper guy mm-hmm. he gives the pilots a note after they take back off fly at x amount of feet at 250 miles per hour and the flaps down and the pilot said this this vessel can't fly at that slow speed at that low altitude and he said absolutely can do it and lo and behold the damn thing stayed up in the air and he had everybody at the on the plane go up front except for one stewardess he made it sit next to her i'm sure he had this thing down timing wise Certain time, he said, go on up to the cockpit and don't come back. And on these old Pan Am flights, they had an aft 
stair that literally came down kind of like on a C-47. Mm-hmm. Pilot said they heard their ears popped. He called the tower, said, I think our friend is no longer with us. They go back, stairs down, wide up in the air, and some bitch parachuted off. The rest is history, um, but there's people with theories. Some of the crazy theories is like, well, he buried the money. It's like, if we're going to bury the money, why would you do it to begin with? And now, obviously, you think, well, here's a guy who knows flight patterns, parachuting. So clearly, it's got to be somebody that's from military history. It's 1971. Vietnam's, you know, pretty much full swing. And so now the question is, so the FBI is looking for people. And now here it is 50 years later, and there's people who have ideas who it could have been, where, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's a very, very interesting story. They do a lot of throwback graphics to like the 60s, the 70s and stuff. And so if you're looking for a fun, I'm on, I'm not even all the way through it yet. If you're looking for a fun show to watch because you burned through everything else on Netflix, you've already watched Pepsi Where's My Plane, you've already watched all the other shows, give D.B. Cooper Where Are You a, a run for your money because it's, it's, it's a pretty good watch and a pretty good show. I think you'll enjoy it. Do, 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 do. Will do. You know, we went a little, I'm going to save the fish story for Mike comes. We went a little long as we always do with some unscripted conversation, but it's the holiday season. And, you know, I'll say this for. We might do it. No, next week's Christmas, so we won't be able to do a show. It's just the conversation I wanted to have would be better with Mike here because he's a parent too, but we'll just go ahead and bring it up. At what yeah. point, maybe you guys can email us. you have any thoughts, email us at info at dhive410.com or send us a message through Facebook. As kids get older, when kids are young, you want to give them big Christmases. You want to see the look on their face. Santa Claus has come. They walk out in their living room, wherever your tree is, just a fucking landscape of presents. But as kids get older, mature, especially now fucking days, they want more and more expensive gifts. This isn't the 70s when we wanted a G.I. Joe that retailed for $3.28. (laughs) Now they want $500 iPhones, $600 Playstations, three years ago, $300 hoverboard, etc. And so what happens for parents is they, they buy these big gifts and they have a budget. They don't splurge by all of them. They'll choose one or two that they really want. But then they wrap them and they look at the tree and say, fuck, there's only two presents under the tree. Even though those presents combined probably retail for a thousand fucking dollars. The question I have is at what point do you stop worrying about the quantity and worry about the quantity? Because I'm telling well, I know when we grew up, we were basically <laughs> even in middle schools, like you get a hundred bucks. I told, I told Carrie, I said, you know, from the time we were in second grade, because including the step siblings, there were six of us. You, you were in second grade, yeah. So the time I was in second grade until I was 20, my budget, which was never in, was never adjusted for inflation. Never changed for inflation. Was $100. And if, we had the JCPenney or Sears catalog, and we'd circle and initial what we wanted. And if you wanted a $300 item, you better get two siblings to pitch in their $100 uh, to get that I Nintendo. I think the Nintendo was that way. I told her that story. I said, and so I said, the kids in high school now, she's asking... Our daughter wanted $138 with a personal hygiene products, for example. And I'm like, obviously we didn't get that, but we got a few other things. And Carrie's like, well, I'm going to have to wrap these presents to see how many we have to see if I need to buy more. It's like, no, she's in high school now. The days of quantity are over. It's all about quality. She's getting some high ticket items. What you want within a certain budget that you set. If you want four high ticket items, guess what? You're going to have four fucking items under the tree. My 16th birthday after I turned 16, I had one present. Mm-hmm. You know what that was? Car. Wasn't even under the tree. <laughs> no, it was the bumper for the S10. Yeah. 
Well, and it was wrong. It was chrome. It wasn't black. So we had to take it back. When I was in high school, my you know I got a shirt and a snowboard because the snowboard wasn't cheap. But I'm surprised that blew your hundred dollar budget. Well, yeah. Well, that's because they were basically. Uh, I was. Is that, is that when you're coming out to see me? That was well. The, it was the year before. It was one of those we're going to combine your birthday and your Christmas, and you know you're wanting to do something at ski club at school, which for you know our parents to see one of us actually, you know, especially me being interested in a school related -related. sports activity, you know, that that, wasn't skateboarding. Exactly. And so until the, although it was skateboarding adjacent, well, I was going to say until (laughs) he started talking to the friends at work and found out back then snowboarders had a bad reputation and then it quickly knocked the air air out. Yeah. But you got to remember this is the time when time magazine wrote that story about snowboarders just being drug addicts and carrying gun toters. But anyhow, yeah. So the question is, is like, at what point, is it high school? I think it should be definitely high school. It's like, you know, if your yes. kid's borderline old enough to get a fucking job and they're asking for high value things, I'm not saying don't give them the high value things. I'm saying don't go out and spend as much money on, on tchotchke items just to, in a stocking. just to create a landscape of presence under the tree. Yes. Well, plus it helps feed in from feeding into the, con- I'm sorry. It helps from feeding into consumerism, you know, and the whole reason, I mean, the same, your daughter thought that the whole reason for Christmas was for gifts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody did at some point in time or another, but, you know, or we, we, we knew that it was for, but we also knew what it was for, you know. And it just occurred to me tonight, too. I mean, I thought, of, I knew about it, but I didn't actually think about it. Also, I'm curious that every year Christmas was the same for us. Christmas Eve, we went to Donna's and Dave's house. Open presents. Usually Santa Claus showed up with one of Dad's buddies. Came home, opened up our presents, and then mm-hmm. for, fuck, eight years or so, every year, Melody and Dad basically made a four-hour round trip to drive our asses down to Kentucky on Christmas. They, they spent their Christmas day driving for four hours because yeah, it was two hours to drop us off. off. At, uh, their Dad's house and us off at Mom's. And then they would drive back home to get rid of us for a week. And I said, well, then again, if I had to drive four hours round trip in one day to get rid of our kid for a week, I'd be happy to do it too. But Especially a Christmas week where you're on va- kids are on vacation. But they basically, for 10 years or so, spent their Christmas day every year driving mm-hmm. us to Kentucky. Until I got my license. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. Well, when Remember I Remember my- how empty those freeways were? Yep. Going down through Cincinnati. Well, yes, I said Cincinnati. That's why that's part of the reason I still watch the opening credits when I got my box set of WKRP in Cincinnati, because I would lay down in the back of the van and when we drive to Cincinnati, I would look up at the skyline from the interstate and it's basically now, that let, same view on WKRP in Cincinnati. The listeners, when Don said he laid down in the back of the van, mm-hmm. It was behind the rear seat. Yeah, we didn't it take the, the rear seat out. Dangerous. <laughs> it was in the boot. Basically, if we got rear-ended, I would have been dead. But that's where we laid, right next to the speaker. Yeah, he's the youngest. It didn't count. Trying to sleep when having Dwight Yoakam and 90s pop country blown in. Uh, my head's right one next of to the, the songs that I remember the most from our travels to Florida. There's a little black spot on the sun today. When I think Florida vacations, I think Rock Me Amadeus. I rock Me Amadeus, yes. Just like uh, the first time I ever heard Offspring's Pretty Fly for a White Guy is when Brad and I drove to California. We heard it on mm-hmm. K-Rock in California. Before it was ever on the air in Ohio. Didn't we change the lyric of that one song too? There's a little brown spot of underwear. Yeah. Same old thing on the other Possibly. pair. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Um, real, we had a lot of screwing with lyrics. Real quick, um, you, you heard about the n- domestic terrorism in North Carolina, right? 
I have not. And I know I'm the news guy. I have not been paying a whole lot of attention. And to after this guy. story broke, apparently this nonsense has been going on or through other. You're talking states. about the substations that are yes. being taken out. Yes. Uh, if, they hit the, if they hit like 12 of the right ones, it'll be problematic. Dateline, this goes back to December 6th because we weren't on the air last week. Um, Carthage, North Carolina. It looks like Moore County, North Carolina, is not alone. Each day, CBS 17 is learning that more and more about the incident, which included 45,000 customers lost power after gunfire attacks hit different Moore County electrical substations, knocking out power through Carthage and Southern Pines, Pinehurst, and Aberdeen. Tuesday so are they just testing um, small areas first? I don't know. Tuesday night, CBS 17 learned that North Carolina isn't the only state to see I'm sorry, intentional attacks against critical infrastructures. News Nation, one of CBS 17's partners under the parent company of Nexstar, obtained recent federal law enforcement memos describing similar situations across the United States. The memo specifically names Oregon, Washington State, as experiencing physical attacks on substation using hand tools, arson, firearms, metal chains, uh, possibly in response to online calls for attacks on critical infrastructure. Do they realize how dangerous it is? To Especially with hand tools. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper called Saturday night's outage a, quote, criminal attack. Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields agreed, saying the individual that did the damage knew exactly what they were doing to cause the damage and to cause the outage that they did. Federal memo also says, in recent attacks, criminal actors bypass security fences by cutting the fence links, uh, lighting nearby fires, shooting equipment from distances, and throwing objects over the fence onto the equipment, thus creating an arc. The targeted attacks as Homeland Security experts now ruling the action out as domestic terrorism, too. Why? That sounds like domestic terrorism to me. The attacks also came from, I'm sorry, the attacks also came just a few days after the U.S. Department of Homeland Security issued a bulletin to law enforcement noting that, quote, the United States remains on heightened threat environments. The memo obtained by News Nation further said, to cause widespread power failures with the potential impact of social disruption and violent anti-government criminal activity. News Nation is expected to release more information. And then we go over to NBC. Uh, targeted NBC power outages could leave thousands in the dark for days. Officials said on Sunday cautioned residents of Moore County, North Carolina, to be prepared for days without electricity after targeted attacks on substation, as we said before, left 45,000 customers, not only in the dark, but in some areas, probably in the cold. Um, yeah, so this particular one, they shot the equipment up with fucking guns. Mm -hmm. And as you know, being in the industry, uh, with supply chain issues, it might take a little long to get some of these higher infrastructure-grade electrical systems to get your shit if back on. If you're a terrorist and you're one bent on fucking everything up, you would probably wait until... Supply chain is at its worst, mm -hmm. and um, so recovery and repairs isn't quick. And let's be honest, none of these substations, they're just in your neighborhood. They have a fence around. There's no guard. There's no, you know, Because if you go fuck a substation, you're probably going to end up dead. Well, unless you shoot it from a distance. Your bullet ain't going to arc back to your rifle. There's a whole lot of shooting that's got to go on. Yeah. Well, apparently yeah. it worked in North Carolina and mm -hmm. Washington and Oregon. Yep. Yep. 
So ready to do the news? Yeah, we can do the news because I got to do some work when we get off of here. Um, I don't have the theme song loaded, so Gordon, uh, do your thing. Okay. Speaking of, I just kind of pulled this one out of my ass since we're talking about substations. U.S. announces nuclear fusion energy breakthrough. Now, let everybody catch everybody up. What we use currently is called nuclear fission. It has a lot of byproducts and is a lot more dangerous. Fusion is basically generating energy like the sun. It powers it like the sun. It is one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. The U.S. Department of Energy, hold on, add, uh, announced Tuesday a monumental milestone in nuclear fusion research has a net energy gain, which was achieved for the first time in the history by scientists from Lawrence Liverpool National Laboratory in California. What that means is it actually didn't cost more energy to make this happen than it produced. Simply put, it's one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st Century, according to Jennifer Granholm. Next only to the girl who just had her leukemia cured. At a press conference. What's that? I said next only to the girl who just had her leukemia cured. But yeah, go ahead. Mm. Well, here's the deal. It strengthens our national security. The ignition allows us to replicate certain conditions only found on the stars and in the sun. This milestone moves us one significant step closer to possibility of zero carbon abundance fusion energy powering our society if the impact of the scientists work will assist u.s industries nationwide according to graham home today we tell the world that america has achieved a significant scientific breakthrough the day you get more energy out than you put in the sky's the limit according to american astrophysicist physicist one neil degrassi tyson yeah the problem is, is getting people willing to because it has the word nuke in the name Correct. They just don't have to call it sun energy. Mm-hmm. Nuclear fusion has been considered the holy grail of energy creation that some say could save humans from extinction. Here's the cool part. It combines two hydrogen atoms, which makes helium and a lot of energy. So if you could capture that helium byproduct, then our helium shortage would go away. I was going to say, if we have the ability to make artificial helium, then that's an even bigger, but better. It won't even be artificial, it'll be real. Um, and, and, and how, this is how stars like our sun generate power. We've known how to fuse atoms for, and generate energy. We just haven't been able to control it. According to DeGrasse Tyson, who is the author of Starry Messenger, a cosmic perspectives on civilization, nuclear fusion technology has been around since the creation of the hydrogen bomb, but using that technology to harness energy has required decades of research. It took 200 laser beams, some of the most powerful on the planet Earth. Laser of course, it's beam. only one planet Earth. Converge all that energy down to a pellet, a pellet the size of a BB, according to Dr. Michio Kaku, a professor of theoretical physics, physics in the City College of New York. And just remember, fusion power has no nuclear waste to speak of, no meltdowns to worry about. So this is fucking fantastic. Yeah, like I heard a TikTok say the other day, uh, nuclear power is basically boiling water with a hot rock. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Well, this is a little bit different. That's fission. This is fusion. So that that goal of multinational, multi-billion dollar project called the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, or the ITER, 
which is under construction in southern France. It's funny. France has got all sorts of nuclear power, and they're one of the ones who's not all, like, been out of shape in Europe right now over power. Yeah, because uh, they didn't fall currently for the nuclear Russian... nuclear power plants uses fission, which breaks, down at, breaks atoms apart to make the energy. Even though it's not burning fossil fuel, meltdowns like Chernobyl and Fukushima. Now, we got to remember, these are all Generation 1 plants are evidence that our nuclear fission can still harm humans and our environment. But now fusion's moment appears to be finally here. We're long overdue and have converted something so destructive that finally could be used for peaceful purposes to service our civilization, according to Degrassi Tyson. So I think this is fantastic, fantastic news. It's something we've needed. Absolutely. Um, long as Dr. Evil doesn't get a hold of it, uh, we will be fine. Um, speaking of that, let's see what else we got here. Pricey pants from 1857 goes for how much? Whose pants? They're, they're expensive pants from the year 1857. 337K. 114K. But hmm. it does raise a question about Levi's. Depends on the red Pulled from a sunken trunk. Mm -hmm. This has come out of Reno, Nevada. And a 1857 shipwreck located off the coast of North Kakalaki, or Carolina, work pants that auctioned officials described as the oldest known pair of jeans in the world is sold for 114k. And if the white heavy-duty miners' pants with five-button fly were among 270 gold rush era artifacts that were sold for a total of a nearly a million in Reno last weekend, according to Hullabird Western American Collections. There is a disagreement about whether these pricey pants have any ties to the father of modern day blue jeans, Levi Strauss, as they appear to predate Levi by 16 years. Wow. The first pair officially manufactured by Levi's was in 1873. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time we've heard an inventor steal their ideas from somebody else, Bill Gates. Maybe it was a... Um, Prototype. Yeah. Uh, some say historical evidence suggests there are links to Strauss, who was a wealthy wholesaler of dry goods at the time, and that the pants could very well be an early version of what became the iconic jeans. But the company's historian and archive director, Tracy Panic, says any claims about their origin origin are mere speculation. The pants are not Levi's, nor do I believe they are miners work pants, according to um, panic. I was going to say all the minor work pants have already been found pretty much. Regardless of their origin, there's no denying the pants were made before the SS Central America sank off in a hurricane on September 12th of 1857, which was packed with passengers who began their journey in San Francisco and was on their way to New York via Panama. And there's no indication older work pants dating the gold rush air existed. Those minor genes are like the first flag on the moon. Historical moment in history, according to the one Dwight Manley, who is a managing partner of California Gold Marketing Group, which owns the artifact and put them up for auction. Of course, he's a seller. He's gonna he's gonna pump that through a full of full of sales speak. Mm -hmm. Other auction items that had been entombed for more than a century in the ship's wreckage, which was located seven thousand two hundred feet down, included purchase keys to the treasure room where tons of gold rush coins and assayer ingots were stored. That sold for 103,200 bucks. 
Tens of millions of dollars worth of gold has been sold since the shipwreck recovery began in 1988. The last Saturday marked the first time any of the artifacts actually hit the auction block. And there will be another one planned for February. Needless to say, cool. They found some old-ass pants. <laughs> I and, like old um, pants. They're fun. And that's, that's it. And then I think there's one more story I have. It's a dog story. Oh. Dogs gifted by North Kim resettled in South Korean Zoo. Well, that's good that they didn't end up on a dinner plate. Yeah, right. Yes, I'm not being a bigot. There's some truth to that statement. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a co-worker here who adopted a dog from Korea that was actually slated to, to go to a slaughterhouse for food. Sadly, I follow a Boston Terrier rescue group on Instagram. 98% of their terriers come from Korea, and most of them have their voice boxes snipped, which are dumb because Boston Terriers don't bark a lot to begin with. A pair of dogs gifted by North Korean leader Kim Jong-un four years ago ended up in a zoo in South Korea after a dispute over who should finance caring of the animals. I mean, if this should be a deal, just come yeah. up for you get those things auctioned off. You get those things, sorry, auctioned off. You get them um, adopted pretty quickly. So you can't afford a seven dollar bag of dog food. You're the dear leader. Kim had given two white Hungjin hunting dogs, a breed indigenous to North Korea, to then South Korean President Moon Jae-in as a gift for following their summit talks in Pyongyang. In 2018, but Liberal Moon gave the dogs up last month, citing the lack of financial support for canines from the current conservative government led by. How can you not take care of dogs? You were the president. <laughs> the dogs named Gumi and Songgang were then moved to a zoo run by local government in the southern city of Gekwangyu. I, I, I am horrible at this. And last Friday, and a temporary state stay at a veterinary hospital in the south eastern city of Deju. No, it's not how it sounded, <laughs> according to zoo officials. Um, when when the mayor uh, of Gangwe in attendance, the dogs were shown off Monday with their name tags around their necks so journalists can uh, take their photo op. So Aww. needless to say, some dogs gifted by the North uh, has found themselves a nice place in a zoo, which I still think is weird. Yeah, because it's still not getting the the attention they need. Yep. And then last story, Mars. Rover catches first sound of dust devil on Red Planet. The vacuum cleaner? Oh, no, that's dirt devil, my bad. Now I'm thinking of the Butthole Surfer song. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Cape Canaveral, Florida, coming in from the AP. What's a dust devil sound like on Mars? Any guess? Anybody? Ooh. A NASA rover had a chance, by chance, had its microphone on when a whirling tower of red dust passed directly overhead, recording a racket. In about 10 seconds of not only rumbling gust of up to 25 miles an hour, but the pinging of hundreds of dust particles against rover Perseverance. Um, scientists released this first of its kind audio. So basically, as one would expect, it sounds a lot like dust levels here, but just a little quieter because of Mars' thin atmosphere, which makes for more muted sounds and less forceful wind, according to researchers. The dust level came and went over Perseverance quite quickly, and thus the short length of the audio, according to University of Toulouse's Nomi Murdoch, Naomi Murdoch, lead author of the study. So needless to say, we're learning some more stuff up there on Mars. Um, and uh, that's cool. 
<laughs> I like that shit. But needless to say, I think that's kind of it for news today. We like that yes. shit. And if you like shit, head over to Oh, that. I'm sorry. One more. I got to read this one. It's Germany. It's not about pretzels. No. It's not about German-made euros passing off as Greek. Mm, yummy. Coming in Berlin, AP, police in Western Germany are appealing for help in cracking a potentially very old, very cold case. And this is either Germany, I hate to say it, Germany or Florida. It's definitely Germany. Authorities say about 60 containers full of bull sperm mm, were stolen from a farm in the town of Olfen, located uh, 56 miles northeast of Cologne, late Monday, early Tuesday. Police said in a statement. That shit's got some Wednesday, value to it. Now, while it's unclear how the rustle happened, the precious cargo needs to be super cooled My with precious. liquid nitrogen at about 196 degrees or negative. Sorry, that's negative 196 degrees Celsius or negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. So it isn't spoiled. They're seeking for tips for the public that might lead to recovery. So what brought made me want to even talk about this is when we, I used to work at FedEx ground slash RPS, we would get those shipped through all the time really yes and uh, i think that's it this one all worth uh sort of talking about speaking of which if you like stuff and even bull salmon you can't get that at d-410.com but what you can get is shirts and you can support the podcast by signing up for patreon so please head over to d-410.com or what's in your head.com and click on the patreon link sign up and subscribe it goes a long way to help us what we here to do here at the show not only that, but you can head over to YouTube.com and watch our videos and enjoy our other content, and that'll go a long way to help out what we do here at the show as well. So thank you, guys. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I think next Monday is like Christmas holiday or some shit, right? Next Tuesday, no. So we still have another week. So, yeah, we will be here next Tuesday on the 20th. Um, the 27th remains to be seen because, well, holidays and stuff. So we will be here next week, hopefully with Mike. And uh, bring you another fun-filled episode of the What's In Your Head podcast. Thank you guys so much. And until then, on behalf of myself, Gordon, and Mike, who's not here, we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>